folks. Welcome back to Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Hank and Dictor. Hank, we are here to recap the 2021 season tonight that was for the New York football Giants. And obviously to talk about a lot more, we're going to have our New York Giants top 10 players reveal. We're also going to talk about some of the GM candidates who have been interviewed and some of the finalists as well. Folks, remember to go check us out on our social media platforms below on Instagram, Twitter, and our YouTube channel at Big Blue Avenue. And, of course, follow us on Review, Review and Preview Sports, where we live stream our shows every every week. We do apologize. We know uh, this is 18 minutes past our start time. We did go live. We had an issue uh, with our streaming service. So we are now good to go. If somebody can just drop a comment in the comments section if you're watching – just to make sure that you can hear us, you can see us. We really do appreciate all the fans and all the support that we've been given. Hank, how are you doing, my friend? I'm still still doing okay. Still looking forward to what can't get any worse next year. But then again, I've said that for the past few years. But how about you, Tom? I'm doing all right. You know, unfortunately, it, it's really tough to see Joe Judge not as the head coach of the Giants anymore. Uh, the Giants pretty much have done a whole 360 makeover of their football team right now. And, you know, it's really a shame, but I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to see who is brought in as the general manager, which should be announced at any moment, any day. Now, both uh, were actually all three candidates were interviewed for a second time today. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to briefly recapping this season here, Hank. And I know, um, before we had the streaming hour, we talked about the first four games, the first one you and I were at. Yep. Giants played the Denver Broncos, a game that we were both at. We took a picture together. We were both at the game at MetLife. Little did we know what this season had in store for us as Giants fans, and it was not uh, very friendly to us, to say the least. The Giants ended up losing 27-13. to 13. Yeah, no, that was cool going to what was my first ever week one NFL game. Usually when I go to Giants games, it's either mid-November or like early December. But going during during the fall was a nice little change of pace, and I thought the atmosphere was fun. And, you know, when Sterling Shepard scored that big 37-yard touchdown pass at the beginning of the game, I think we all thought, hey, maybe this will be a different year. But little did we know that when when they had that, Touchdown! The Broncos had that touchdown at the end, the short Bridgewater to Tim Patrick score. I think that was kind of a red flag in retrospect that I didn't really that we didn't really think of was a red flag until we reanalyzed the season later on. But the one positive about this game that I will say was Noah's guy Aziz Ojolari had his first career sack, the first of what was a. Uh, rookie record with an asterisk, eight sacks for a New York Giant. So that that was definitely pretty cool to see. And otherwise, not a great game. Speaking of Noah, there he is. Stream tried to save you from discussing the Giants this week. Yep, that is correct. Hank, I sent you a message in the private chat. If you can go check that out, I'd really appreciate it. We did have a streaming error for the first 15 minutes of our show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but, yeah, the first game wasn't promising. Games two and three, the Giants lost on uh, last-second field goals to the Washington football team and the Atlanta Falcons week three on Eli Manning 
Jersey retirement ring of honor induction day, which ended in John Mara kicking a trash can. Uh, obviously week two, the loss to Washington. We have the Dexter Lawrence fake offsides penalty. That wasn't, but the giants in my opinion had lost the game before that, despite scoring 29 points. So week two and week three were pretty much uh, heartbreaking defeats that led us to Oh, and three. And then the giants wound up doing something they hadn't done in 28 years. They beat the new Orleans saints in the Superdome. 27 to 21, Hank, a place that the Giants have really struggled at historically. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones, the 52 yard bomb to John Ross. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston did not look great in this game. It, it took overtime, but we saw that beautiful touchdown pass to Saquon Barkley to give the Giants the win. Beautiful throw and catch Jones to Barkley. And uh, it was rather an unexpected win. A lot of people had written the Giants off in this game and the Giants kept their season alive. I remember we discussed it with Ben Flynn, our guest that week on week four with Sam, and he actually predicted the Giants to win this game. Sure enough, as a fan who was there in the Superdome, the Giants proved us wrong, proved him right, and we improved to one and three for our first win of the season. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting game and probably one of the Every now and then, one other thing I've noticed over the course of the past, like, nine, ten years we've had losing games, like, there's always that one unexpected win the Giants will have. Last year it was the game in Seattle. This year it was the win in New Orleans. And, you know, after starting out 0-3, that it was the win that they couldn't have come at a better time for sure. And the thing that stood out to me, I remember Barkley had that big touchdown, but before that, yeah, I remember you and I joked that maybe he owed Kyle Rudolph a trip to Peter Luger's because he recovered a Saquon fumble, and that essentially saved the game for the Giants right there. Other things worth noting in that game, John Ross had some big receiving yards. Kenny Galladay in overtime had that big 23-yard catch and run right before the touchdown. So all in all, it was, it was a great win for sure. And then we went on to week five in Dallas. That was a tough one. We talked with Brian Attard that week. Um, big loss, not an ideal game. I know Lorenzo Carter had the interception. Cowboys boat raced us out to a 10 nothing lead, to quote my friend Noah Dibler there. Uh, City Lamb, 49-yard touchdown. Daniel Jones, everybody got hurt in this game. Jones left with concussion. Saquon Barkley left with a sprained ankle. Uh, Kenny Galladay was hurt. And I'm pretty sure this was Kadarius Tony's coming out game. Ten catches for 189 yards. Both of yes. those were season highs for him. And Kadarius Tony really showed why the Giants took him with their first round selection in this year's draft. I think that was the one bright spot of the Week 5 Dallas game. Him punching a guy at the end was uncalled for. But other than that, he had a good game. I agree. Yeah. Definitely a good game for Kadarius Tony. Obviously, couldn't cover Dalton Schultz, Amari Cooper, City Lamb. You're not going to win. <laughs> Giants were outscored 27 to 10 in the second half, and then in Week Six, we got destroyed by the Rams. We talked to Mike Vivolo before that Rams game, and he was not confident at all. Cooper Cup scored a couple touchdowns. Daniel Jones threw three picks, but. It seems like there was a silver lining for the Giants in every loss this season, and, and in that game. X first two interceptions of the season. Xavier McKinney, who 
is definitely both on our top 10 list later on tonight that we're going to reveal. And then Hank moving on to week seven, the giants are now sitting there at one and five. We had on snacks. He tried convincing all of us to pick the giants against the Carolina Panthers. I bited you and Sam did not Uh, giants end up blowing out the Carolina Panthers, 25 to three, a Christian McCaffrey list Carolina Panthers offense. I'm pretty sure if Snacks is still watching this episode, he probably still won't let me live down picking against the Giants. But with that being said, it wasn't without reason. And this was another game that I was pleasantly surprised. Not so much because the Giants won, because this was the only game of the year where they flat out dominated and didn't look like we were going to see much at the beginning. You know, Carolina gets the field goal to start the game, but then the Giants take the lead at half with a safety and then a field goal of their own. And I would say five and three at halftime was a weird score, but then everything changed in the second half. They had, you had a Daniel Jones touchdown pass to Dan to Dante Pettis. And by the way, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but wasn't this the same drive where Daniel Jones himself hauled in a 16 yard pass from, from Dante Pettis. Yep. Dante Pettis threw a pass in that game. Crazy, right? And little did we know that that touchdown would be the last one we'd see from a Giants wide receiver until the last week of the season. If you had told me that after that game, I probably would have looked at you like you had three heads. To say the least, right? It was definitely a struggle from that point forward. Week eight, you and I went out to a bar on Monday night football with our chiefs friend, Paul Lombardi to watch the giants almost upset the Kansas city chiefs in arrowhead. They ended up losing that game 20 to 17 Julian love picked off Patrick Mahomes on the chiefs opening drive, but Jones gave it right back an interception to Willie gay, who was actually arrested last night. Uh, fun fact. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> The Giants tied the game after going down 7-0. Kyle Rudolph scored his first touchdown in big blue, but the story of this game was the Giants being unable to get off the field on third down. They couldn't stop Derek Gore on the, on the ground. Uh, that's embarrassing because Paul didn't even know who the running back was before the game had started. So to me, that's a big problem. it was problem. Frank Gore. But, yeah, he thought it was Frank Gore, and I think so did we for a hot second. Um, <laughs> Travis Kelsey had a fumble in this game. The Chiefs were not good heading into this game, Hank. The Chiefs were three and four. The Giants were only one game worse. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I remember talking to you about during that game was I think we – I don't think we were sure as to whether this was just a weaker Chiefs team than the previous two years or whether this was just them straight up playing down to their competition. And you know what? I think I think it probably could have been both this game. Yeah, I think the Chiefs were still trying to find their footing. I think most Giants fans marked this game as a loss. But, um, you know, Harrison Bucker went on to kick the game-winning field goal. Um, the Giants also were not disciplined during this game. They had a lot of penalties, including that one late in the game. I think it was – I think you had Elijah Penny having the taunting. Oh, he was an asshole that game. Oh, God, they – I hate when players do that. I really do. Yeah. No, it wasn't good. It wasn't good for anybody. It wasn't good for us as Giants fans to see. Um, 
not good. So the Giants failed to capitalize in that game. Also, Tay Crowder jumped offside on a Darnay Holmes interception. That was rough. And then sitting there at two and five, the Giants go and play the Las Vegas Raiders at MetLife Stadium. Daniel Jones throws a 30-yard touchdown to Evan Ingram to start up the game. Raiders come back and score. Giants were up 13-10 at the half, I believe. And the Raiders, they wind up tying the game. This basically was a game of field goals until Xavier McKinney had a nice interception. Again, this was another two-pick game for him, I believe. And uh, the Giants would eventually win the game. Quincy Roche, rookie who was claimed off waivers, had a strip sack. Giants are now 3-6 and six, heading into the bye. All of a sudden, hope is back for this football team, but my and for gosh, me personally, this was a highlight because I was at this game. You were at this game, and then two nights later, we went to the Rangers game, or that might yes. have been a week later, I'm not sure, and everybody's just talking about, oh, my God, the Giants, you know, they have Brady's number. The Bucks weren't looking too good at the time. Giants could be Tampa Bay and be back in the playoff mix at four and six. My God. And – I was trying to keep a level head and say and not get my false hopes up because I've been disappointed by the Giants a lot within the past 10 years. But I didn't want to rule it out. I was consciously optimistic. And the reason I couldn't get too excited about this game, even though it was great to go to a game and see the Giants win, I haven't seen them win live since 2018 before that day. And that was only this would have only been, I want to say, my third or fourth win live at MetLife Stadium goes to bring out. Oh, shut up. I don't. It's also the fact that I don't go to giant games as often as I go to Rangers and Yankee games. But in any event, my point was the having to settle for field goals and then the Raiders coming this close to tying the game. I'm going to be honest. That was something that I saw as kind of a red flag heading into the Buccaneers game. I agree. I definitely agree. It was definitely a red flag. The Bucks would go on to win 30-10. to 10. Giants threw a touchdown pass to Andrew Thomas in that game. Uh, Will Hernandez was very undisciplined. Tom Brady completed his first 10 passes of the game. Kronk had a 35-yard catch. Uh, I don't know why he was left wide open throughout the course of this game. Um, Rudolph had a nice catch, but... The the highlight of this game for me was Daniel Jones threw an interception to a defensive tackle named Steve McClendon, uh, who used to play for the Jets. And it might have been the worst throw of Daniel Jones's three-year career. Uh, replace might have with definitely, because that made a lot of Giants fans' blood boil. And um, there's really not much more to say. Giants fell to three and seven, and it looked like we were heading back to the gutter where we belonged this season. Yeah, once I saw that interception, I just, I almost stopped watching. Like, for the sake of this show, I don't stop watching until the game's over, or if I can't watch, I'll, like, record and make sure I see every single highlight. But this was one of the closer games that, like, I legitimately did not want to see because that that interception was horrible, and 
it proved my point about why I couldn't get too hyped up in the Giants having somewhat of a chance at the wild card, even though the numbers and the mathematics said it was possible. But right. this next win, honestly, in my honest opinion, Tom, I don't know about you, was probably one of the highlights for me of the season. I would, I don't know if I'd call it my personal Super Bowl from this season, but any time they beat the Philadelphia Eagles, you know how how happy that always makes me. Yeah, my least favorite team in all in the NFL by far. Andrew Thomas was one of the best <laughs> Giants receivers this season. He had more touchdown catches than Tony and Galladay. So yeah, he he was a do it everything guy. Eagles game. We had to win this football game, and granted, this was our last win of the season, but it was a good one. It was Michael Strahan, Jersey retirement, Ring of Honor Day. Giants were going to win for him, and they won based off of good defense. They only gave up seven points. They forced three Jalen Hurts interceptions. Uh, the Giants, I believe they were up. It was either 3 nothing or 7-3 at halftime. It was a low-scoring game. and I think it was 3 uh, nothing because I don't remember the Eagles getting any points until later. I yeah. think the Eagles got their only touchdown in the second half, so it would have been three nothing. Yeah, McKinney got his fifth pick of the season. Um, Boston Scott would score a touchdown later on to bring the Eagles Shocker. close. But Shocker. Jalen Rager gives the Giants the game four and seven, and now you're going into Miami, a team who's hot. They were on a big winning streak at that point, and. Now it seems like if the Giants win this game, there's still a sliver of hope, but Giants decided to score nine points. And I believe this was the first game that Daniel Jones missed due to injury, the Miami game. Yeah, that Eagles win definitely came at a cost. And I think the Dolphin game, if if nothing else, it reminded you that Daniel Jones wasn't as bad as his critics made him out to be. And not only that, I think, I think if anything, his injury further enforced the fact that, as I've been saying all year, the Giants' offense was broken beyond repair. It was. There was and, nothing to repair with it. Jason like, Garrett had been fired at that point. The first thing I saw in that Dolphins game – Mike Glennon, that first interception he threw, that was an arm punt, essentially. Like, he threw it so high, Dolphin, Dolphins guy was waiting, jumps up, essentially it was arm punt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it was. And I got to say, it just wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look for the Giants. Um falling to Miami 20 to nine. And then it got worse the following week. They go to LA to play the chargers, a place where they never win giants. They tied the game seven, seven Elijah Penny had a touchdown. Kyle, Kyle Rudolph decided to have a 60 yard catch in this game, but that's as close as the giants would get. The chargers were without Keenan Allen in this game, not a 100% Mike Williams either. It didn't matter. Justin Herbert found Josh Palmer for a touchdown. He found Jalen Guyton for a 59 yard bomb for another touchdown. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe judge attempted a fake punt that miserably failed on a fourth and nine at their own three yard line. Not good. And then Joey Bosa had a strip sack that led to another touchdown. So, you know, right then and there, 
you're back at four and nine, and then you got to play the Cowboys at home. Everybody knows the season is over at this point, right? You're not going to have a winning record. The Eagles were trending up at that point. The, the Vikings were trending up. There was no chance of really getting a wild card position. So at this point, you were just hoping to beat your division rivals in week 15. And with Mike Lennon starting, there was nothing the Giants could do. I mean, Mike Lennon was non-existent. He didn't show up. Barkley had a fumble, and Barkley never fumbles, but he did have a fumble in this game. Dallas was up 15-3 to quickly at halftime, and we were pretty much relying on guys like Devontae Booker and Kyle Rudolph. Again, it was a field goal game. That's what it was. It was Graham Gano scoring points for the Giants. There was really nothing more to take from this game. The only other thing I would say is that the Giants continue to struggle covering tight ends. Dalton Schultz had a touchdown. I mean, I it would probably take at least three hands to count how many touchdowns the Giants defense gave up to tight ends this season. Ridiculous. And I think really the thing that changed everything actually I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was a turning point, but I think the thing that was a microcosm of the season was the Giants driving. Devontae Booker had that 31-yard run. He gets extra yardage from the horse-collar tackle. But then once they got into the red zone, Kyle Rudolph has a holding penalty. The Giants, I wouldn't say they were one of the more – I'm not going to say the Giants were one of the more undisciplined teams in the NFL because I'm sure there were other teams. Ironically, the Cowboys actually were even more penalized than the Giants. But This past week, yeah, no, I'm. You know where I'm getting at with that, but oh, absolutely. I'm on. In all honesty, anytime the Giants would take a penalty, it was always at the worst time possible. And Tom, I, that's frankly, that's all you need to know. That tells you how bad of a football team they were. And then you had Jake Fromm entering the game, and he gave them a little bit of false hope. He mounted a 16 play, 79 yard drive. They got to the Dallas nine-yard line, but then on fourth and five, they couldn't execute. The, even though he was sacked twice, there were some positives. You had Kenny Galladay having a 36-yard reception on third and 10, which, by the way, was his longest catch of the season. And he was being From targeted. Jake Fromm. Yeah, he was being targeted four times. So I guess that was the one redeeming quality. But, hey, to those of you who attended that game, I sure hope it was worth the free medium soda. That was the free medium soda game, the Dallas game. God, ridiculous! That yeah, Lawrence Times will not be changing his uh, <laughs> Twitter profile picture until the Giants win another football game. So Lawrence Times is stuck with that medium Pepsi. Actually, he changed it back. He, he was fool's gold, folks. Fool's gold. <laughs> uh, all right, we head down the turnpike to play the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, Noah just brought up a good point. One medium soda, not just per party, per season ticket holder account. Your average fans that show up to the game couldn't get it. So there was no point in doing this. There was no point in doing this. Um, Total sixteen. Week 16, four weeks after the Giants beat the Eagles, they go down the turnpike, they lose in the link 34 to 10. Still haven't won in the link since 2013. Giants, they get out to an early league, prototypical game. You get out to a 3-0 lead. Eagles miss a field goal. Um, then they tie the game. 
Devontae Smith was all over the Giants in this game, had a 46-yard catch. Jake Fromm throws a pick. This was a game that was pretty much field position in the first half. Uh, The Giants had the ball around midfield, but they couldn't do anything with it. The Eagles had the ball in their own territory and the same thing. Um, The turning point in this game to me, Riley Dixon had a punt that didn't go very far. Rager returns it to 39 yards. That flipped field position, advantage Philly. And then the Eagles, they'd get a touchdown off of that. Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins had a big 39-yard catch on this drive. And then the icing on the cake was the touchdown to offensive lineman Lane Johnson. I mean, they took a page out of Jason Garrett's playbook, who who wasn't even a coach at that point of the season. The Giants had fired him, and then Mike Lennon threw a pick six to Alex Singleton, giving the Eagles 34 unanswered points after trailing 10 nothing to the Giants. Disgusting. Why on earth did I pick the Giants to win this game? I'm sorry. It was 3 nothing. The Giants would get the last score of the game. Garbage time touchdown. Why? Disgusting. On- it's terrible. To think I actually thought maybe they had a chance at beating a Philly team. And by the way, I stand by my opinion about the Eagles. I did not think that they were a good team. I Yeah, I don't. they made the playoffs, but... The best teams they beat that year were De- were Denver, New Orleans, and I mean they still beat the Eagles at one point this season. But at the end of the day, the fact that the Giants got clobbered that day the way they did just showed you how bad they were. And Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't this the game where Jake Fromm had only 24 yards? He was like what six for 17, 24 yards gets benched. Yeah, it was terrible. Out. It was terrible. He was benched back for Mike Lennon, and people were saying, oh, we want Mike Lennon back, which, well, yeah, you want Mike Lennon back. Jake Fromm barely knows the playbook. It, it was disgusting, and if you thought that was low and it couldn't get any lower, well, let's go to next week. Giants travel to Soldier Field and lose 29-3 to to an Andy Dalton-led Chicago Bears team and a head coach who was on his way out getting fired himself in Matt Nagy. Giants opening drive, opening play of the game, to Sean Gibson strip sacks Mike Lennon, Bears score a quick David Montgomery touchdown. Um, Glennon throws a pick on the Giants' next drive to to Sean Gibson, who, again, two quick turnovers on two Giants' offensive drives. Bears are up 14-0. Cano kicks a field goal. Bears kick a field goal. And then the microcosm of the game, Farrow Cooper and Alex Bachman let the kickoff bounce at the two-yard line, um, thinking it would fall into the end zone, and then – Booker pretty much was obliterated in the end zone for safety. And we know why this was an omen. We'll talk about why it was an omen for the next week. And the Bears end up winning 29-3. There there was nothing more the Giants could do. And then the last week of the regular season, Washington goes up 3-0. They decide to run a jet sweep to Alex Bachman on a third and short or a fourth and short, fourth and one from Washington's 35. That shouldn't be the play call. All due respect to Alex Bachman, who did have, I believe he had over 100, uh, all, over 100 total all-purpose yards in that game. And then came the infamous QB sneaks in their own territory. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. If... Tom, uh, I'm gonna be honest. I literally laughed the second time they did it when it was third and long. 
like deep in their own territory. And I know you might be shaming me for laughing about that, but at the, at this point, like sometimes if you're a Giants fan, you just need to laugh to keep from crying. And I was laughing because it just represent it was another microcosm for how bad the season was. And regardless of of your opinions of Joe Judge, I mean, was that really necessary? I mean. Last I checked, isn't there a guy that they took in the second round who probably could have gotten them more yards than that? Well, here's what here's what the Giants' thinking was on that play, folks. Was it a good play call? Absolutely not. It was one of the worst play calls I had seen. However, they were trying to give their offense a short field to score. They didn't believe in their offense going whatever it was down the field. Still no excuse to run a QB sneak because even if you punt the football, it's not really going to change field position that much. The Bears are still going to get the football probably at at worst the, at their the football at team. You said the Bears. Washington. Yeah, Washington. In um, fairness, like I wouldn't have even cared at that point if they had gotten a safety considering how bad the offense has been. But like a QB sneak, no. Yeah, I, I just Joe Judge clearly did not trust his offense. Um could have won about it a different way. Again, uh, Fromm was strip sacked. I mean, he threw a pick last drive of the game. He did throw that touchdown to Slayton. It was good to see Slayton get a touchdown, but the Giants fall 22 to 7, wrapping up their season at 4 and 13. Hank, now we're going to discuss our high and low points of the 2021 season. Um, I'll go first. My high point, start with my high point, Giants beating the Eagles 13-7 to on Michael Strahan's Ring of Honor induction day. This was the Giants' last win of the season. It was a defensive battle. Shades of their 2002 Week 17 victory over the Eagles where not many points were scored and causing Jalen Hurts to turn the football over three times. The Giants' defense put on a show that game. And my low point, Losing to the Bears 29 to 3 with Andy Dalton at quarterback. You, I mean, look, you could argue the QB sneaks back to back were a low point, but you cannot lose to the Chicago Bears, who were awful this season as well, 29 to 3. I don't care who's starting at quarterback. There, there was just no effort given in that game. So that's my low point. So for my high point, Normally, you would expect that I would say a win over the Eagles is a high point. But for me, I would say the Saints game was my high point just for the sheer fact that, you know, they were 0-3. The Giants were in danger of being in a really dangerous spot. And for them to get a comeback win in a place that they win probably as often as Haley's Comet and to get a comeback win, no less, in, in the Superdome, I thought that was huge. That was a very unexpected surprise, but I think that was really the one win this season that made me like, feel like excited, you know, yes, giants won. They still might have a chance. Like the Raiders game is up there too. Like I would put that one just for the fact that was there. But then again, as I said, even though I enjoyed that one too, and I, even though I enjoyed the fact that like they still had a chance after being the Raiders, I just saw too many red flags in that win to get really excited. So the only one that really excited me was made was the Saints come back and the way that the way the Rudolph recovered that Barkley fumble I thought that was big too like no there was really nothing for me to dislike about that one and as far as the low point 
I would say the Bears game, except by that point, the Giants season was already done. It, it, they were like dead on arrival by that point. And again, I could say the same thing about the QB sneaks. But again, the season was over. They were pretty much a dead team walking. And let's face it, in those games, I pretty much expected them to lose. The season was over. My low point, I'm going to say losing to the Atlanta Falcons the day that Eli Manning had his jersey retired. And let me explain why. Because you're honoring a guy who many will say is one of the greatest players in franchise history. I don't know I don't know where you'd put him, but I in I would certainly put Eli Manning in my top ten for sure with regards to the greatest giants of all time. And for them to lose the way it wasn't even just the fact that they lost the way they did, but Eli had a great speech. That part was great. But then beforehand, when you had the owner getting booed on the day that you were honoring one of your greatest players, that just, that really did not sit well to me. And not to mention you had a loss, a loss in typical Giants fashion. It just, there were so many things about that game that just really made my heart sink. So I think that was the game that pretty much told you that we were going to be in for a long season. And Pitts had a good game. He, he caused that pass interference on Logan Ryan. I remember it like it was yesterday. Giants struggling with tight ends. Shocker. Shocker there. Never seen that before. Season. T- oh, no sympathy after 24 to 2. That was a playoff game a decade yeah. ago. He cut it's- us some slack, Mr. <laughs> Atlanta Falcons. Um, season takeaways. Major disappointment is an understatement. This was a year that you and I and majority of Giants fans came in with a glimmer of hope, hope for an improvement off of last year's six and 10 record. I think at worst, we were thinking eight wins at worst mm-hmm. uh, with what the Giants did in the offseason. They had a good draft and they signed a lot of good free agents that could come in and make plays and be a factor on this team. What happened was, all of those free agents dealt with injuries, whether it was Kenny Galladay, who missed several weeks, Kyle Rudolph dealing with the foot, John Ross, who was in and out of the lineup. Uh, you could also talk about Kadarius Tony, the rookie, missing some time. Sixth-round pick Rodarius Williams getting hurt. Uh, Ellerson Smith and Aaron Robinson missing the first half of the season. Starting Nate Solar over Matt Pert. There's so many ifs, ands, or buts on why this season went downhill. Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux both suffering season-ending injuries. Andrew Thomas missed three or four games as well. So, I mean, that's probably the biggest takeaway. The Giants were riddled with injuries this season, and it unfortunately caused Joe Judge to be the, the scapegoat in his firing. The blame, it lies up for debate, but, you know, he was set up to fail from the higher-ups in this organization. They kept Dave Gettleman when they hired him, which they should have never did. And he saved his job by a year. We both said this last week. If the Uh Giants didn't show that they were moving in the right direction, Gettleman probably would have been gone at the end of last season, folks. And I think Joe Judge played a role in Dave Gettleman's offseason moves that he made. Um, Not to the extent that he did in 2020 because everything was virtual by that point when we brought in Bradbury, Martinez, Fackrell, Thomas. But at the end of the day, Joe Judge is no longer the head coach of this team. Uh, 
we, the Giants were unable to execute a proper rebuild. That's been the issue with this team the last decade. They have tried to win and rebuild at the same time. And I'm a believer you go out every Sunday and you try to win a football game. You don't try to lose. You don't try to tank. You don't root for your team to lose, regardless of the circumstances, because you don't know if the second oh, second overall draft pick is going to pan out. You don't know if the eighth overall draft pick is going to pan out. You just don't know. I mean, look at the quarterbacks that were taken in the 2018 draft. The third one taken is the best one by far. Two of them are busts, and the other one you could argue was on borderline bust and Baker Mayfield. So right then and there – goes to show you you play to win the game you play to win the game and regardless of what people think of the back-to-back qb sneak calls in my personal opinion joe judge played to win the game as the giants head coach he built a culture where there was no you know outside drama um there was no clown show or organization and that's what i'm gonna miss the most about him the way he handled his players right regardless of record they came in week in and week out and unfortunately, it was time for the Giants to clean house. Joe Judge, just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, I think, like I said, there's a lot of what ifs you can really think about with regards to the Joe Judge tenure. Certainly, we're not going to see. Certainly, I know you're. I know you've been on the Joe Judge train, but I know even you've had your moments where you've questioned some of Joe Judge's move, which is completely fair. I've done the same thing, but at the end of the day, even though I think that ultimately what the Giants did is the right decision, I can't help but think what if the Giants had let let Dave Gettleman go along with Pat Shermer in 2019 and wonder if things would have maybe gone differently, but at the end of the day, that's in a different universe. The unfortunate reality is Life as a football coach in the NFL isn't always necessarily fair. And you're going to get, and sometimes you're going to end up being the scapegoat for reasons that go in and out of your control. But that's the reality to the situation. The Giants, on the other hand, the silver lining is I think they're finally for once executing a rebuild the right way because the last time they tried cleaning house, they, they just said, Hey, Dave Gettleman, you used to work for us a long time ago. Why don't you come back? They didn't even think of anybody else. They just, they just thought, thought, hey, an old friend can help us out. No, I think what they're doing right now, I like what they're doing a lot better by going outside and hiring so many different candidates from so many different places. So I'm really excited to see some much-needed change for once. What's up, Alec Walt from Down the Block Sports? Make sure to go check him out on YouTube. Subscribe to his awesome YouTube channel. He does a lot of good videos, daily videos. He says, I think the Giants should take Stingley Jr. with one of the two early picks. That's an interesting comment. Um, I think the Jets need him a lot more than the Giants because you look at the Giants' strength this year defensively, it was their secondary with Bradbury, mm-hmm. Dory Jackson, Darnay Holmes, who was hurt. Aaron Robinson missed half the season. He was a third-round pick. I would prefer, Hank, I don't know about you, I'd prefer to groom Aaron Robinson to, to move up and, you know, be the slot corner next year if the Giants decide, let's say, if they do move on from James Bradbury. I would prefer not to draft Stingley. I'm sold on lineman edge rusher or lineman 
linebacker, lineman, lineman, one of those three options? I mean, I'm not saying Stingley Jr. would necessarily be a horrible pick. I mean, I would take Stingley Jr. I think would be a better pick than, say, Kenny Pickett. If they drafted Kenny Pickett, then you see that wall right there. I'd I'd lose my shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, Stingley I wouldn't explode about, but at no. the end of the day, if you're going to do a proper rebuild, and I think every every guy, every man who's interviewing for the Giants GM position knows this, you have to fix the line and you have yeah. to fix the edge first. That is absolutely important. That that's how I do it. I would either take yeah. I would either take Linderbaum and Neil, like two offensive linemen with those picks or maybe one of the two names I just mentioned, plus an edge rusher. I think either of those options would be the way to go, but the secondary I think has been one of the few strong points for the giants. So I don't, I don't know that Stingley jr. Really is a necessary pick, but you know, I, and I, I also think Aaron Robinson has potential too. So I, I, I'd let him develop another year. There's, and like I said, as much as I'd like the idea of having Singley, I just think there are bigger position, bigger fish to fry. Yeah, I would be sort of upset if the Giants picked Stingley. That's just my opinion. But um, I, I really want to fix this line once and for all. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Alec, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Um, Brian McArdle says, honestly, Neil might be off the board. His value seems to be rising daily. Well, he looked pretty good in the national title game in the college football playoff, Brian. So I'm not so sure what's going to happen if Neil goes top four because the Giants are picking fifth. I'd imagine Thibodeau and Hutchinson will be the first two picks. I don't know. I've heard rumors that Houston's trying to trade back at number three. I'm not so sure if they're going to be successful. They might be in the market for a quarterback, so they might want to trade back and wait for a Kenny Pickett or – I was going to say Matt Corral, but he suffered that gruesome injury. I think he's a day two pick now at best. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Do the Jets take Evan Neal at four? I think the Jets could use the guy that Walt just recommended in Stingley because their cornerbacks suck. So draft the punter, number five. Uh, (laughs) we We like Riley Dixon, Noah. We like Riley Dixon. Falcons should heavily consider trading up. Hey, man, uh, you want a trade partner? We'll take more draft capital. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How long is it going to take to undo Dave Gettleman's mistakes? That's really the next question here. I think we're looking at a three-year rebuild. Yeah, I I was I was going to say probably two to three years at minimum. Because yeah. I'm already looking at next year as being like a total bridge year. Like I, I'm not expecting much from the Giants. You're going to have one more year determining whether Daniel Jones is is the, the answer. And yeah. I'm slowly thinking that's probably not going to be the case. And that's not because I don't think he's a talented quarterback. My my main issue with Daniel Jones, as you and I have mentioned numerous times, is his health and. I while we're at it, I would also think twice about extending Saquon Barkley too because we know that guy's not only injury prone, but he has, his numbers have gone way down. In fact, he either tied, he was either tied for rushing yards or he, or he was, he was barely ahead of Booker or he didn't even lead the giants in rushing. So that's a major, major indictment on Saquon Barkley. So 
I, I like I said, just start from scratch. Just fix fix the line, fix the edge, go from there. Then maybe next year we can talk about quarterback and you know, we'll see. But I, I think maybe two, three it's gonna be a bit of a two to three year period. I agree. Uh Riley Dixon is the Giants' most consistent player. <laughs> Might be right. I don't know. He's very overpaid for a punter, which makes me concerned that he might be a cap casualty. I don't want him to be. I'd like for him to stay on this team. I don't think the punter is a position you need to be worrying about. They did reconstructure his contract towards the end of the season. And here's our guy, Steve, saying three years at least. I agree. Yeah, that's that's probably sounds about right. If we do this the right way, I mean – draft well trade Saquon Barkley this season as much as that pains me to say get rid of these awful contracts like Nate Solder Kenny Galladay uh you can keep Leonard Williams but I mean we owe him 26 million this year which is going to cripple us cap wise this new GM is in for a rude awakening once he finds that out and there's still people in the building like Kevin Abrams Chris Mara Tim McDonald that have a lot of blame. Dave Gettleman's yes man is still in the Giants front office. Mark Conx, his name is, I think. Uh, Giants will be good again when the Mets win the World Series. Easy. So never. Easy. Because <laughs> I, I don't think the Mets are ever going to win a World Series. Um, draft well and get the right free agents, then you might shave off a year. You're right. Steve, I think the Giants need to pick their spots in free agency. I don't want to see more than one notable player sign as a free agent. No, I don't want to see more than one notable player. This is not a free agency period to spend. We did it last year. We have cap problems. We have nine draft picks. Build through this draft. Sign one to two free agents. We did it in 2005. We signed Will Demps, the only notable free agent the Giants brought in for the 2006 season. And he, and he turned out to be an okay player. If you remember Will Demps, he played alongside Jabril Wilson um, back in the Giants secondary. But yeah, but we'll talk about the GM candidates in a few minutes, but now it's time to reveal our top 10 players of the 2021 Giants roster. Hank, I'm going to start with you here so you can reveal your top 10 players in order. You can go from 10 to 1 in reverse order to kind of keep the fans suspense a little bit. And why don't you start with your number 10 giant for 2021? So for number 10, this is a guy I really didn't want to put on my list. However, looking at all the stats of all the giants, defensive players, his numbers were pretty decent and his, his, his strong play at the end of the season enabled me to put Lorenzo Carter on this list. However, with that being said, he he cannot go any higher than number 10 on my list because of how, how poor he played during most of the important parts of the season. But with that being said, a few sacks towards the end, that was definitely enough for him to just barely slip on my list. Up next at number nine, James Bradbury. He wasn't quite Bradbury bunker like he was last year. However, 17 passes defend, four picks. Still pretty solid in one of the few areas of strength on this New York Giants roster. So definitely get some points for me there. James Bradbury will be ninth on the list. Again, because he wasn't 
because he didn't quite live up to expectations, that's why I had to put him at the bottom tier of this list. Number eight, Tay Crowder, one of the better linebackers on the team, had a good amount of tackles. Definitely one of the more underrated players on that defense and Mr. Irrelevant, as you may remember. I think he did a solid job, all things considered, filling in for the injured Blake Martinez. So that has to count for something. And for that, he gets number eight on my list. And I love how Noah's getting excited at every Georgia Bulldog I mentioned. Good for you, man. Congrats on that title once again, by the way. I mean, it must you must be pretty excited to have seen two titles within less than a calendar year, first the Braves and now the Bulldogs. So enjoy it, man. Enjoy every second of it. Savor it. And let's continue with my list, shall we? Number seven, Adoree Jackson. Again, I would say he was he was one of the better free agents that the Giants signed this offseason. And the one game of his that stands out to me is he had a 12-tackle game against the Kansas City Chiefs and became one of the stronger members of the secondary. So definitely one of the better members. So now let's get to number six. Are you ready for this? The best player for the Giants offensively, none other than the kicker, Graham Ganow. Now, because he'd supplied most of the most of the points for the Giants this season, that's the reason why he's this high on my list. And that's how you know that your team stinks is because you have to put your kicker like somewhere in the middle or pretty close to the top five. So I would have the only reason he's not quite in the top five was he did have games where he wasn't quite as automatic as he was in 2020. But nevertheless, I would say the fact that he was our main source of offense is, is enough for me to even put him close to that. Mm-hmm. So that warrants him being number six. I like Number him. five, Noah's going to love this one, Aziz Ojolari. Eight sacks for a rookie, an asterisk-worthy Giants record. Again, you, for those of you who know your history, you pretty much know why I'm calling it that. That's um, for a rookie, eight sacks. That's very impressive. And because he was one of the shining members of the edge, I think he absolutely has to be in the top five. So Aziz Ojolari gets that on the list. And right on cue, Noah celebrating his Georgia Bulldogs. Number four, I'm going to go with probably the player who I would consider old reliable in the secondary, Logan Ryan two-time player of the week this season, had over 100 tackles on the season, definitely one of the more versatile members of our of our secondary, a key, a key leader for the Giants. No reason he shouldn't be in my top five. Number three, I'm going to go with the Warrior. Leonard Williams played the sec. Forget the numbers for a second. The, not, he had great, he had solid numbers, and he, he got better over the course of, of, like, probably the second half of the season, in my honest opinion. But what really compelled me to put him on my list, he played the end of the season with a broken elbow. This is a guy who's getting paid a lot of money. How many other guys who are getting paid that much would still be willing to play with a broken elbow for the second half and what's pretty much been a lost season? That counts for a lot in my book. And because he had some some really big games over the course of the season, this is why he's number three on my list. Number two, the, now for, for my top two, I was actually having a lot of trouble trying to, you know, decide who, who were going to be my top two. But 
ultimately for number two, I decided to put the anchor of the offensive line on this list. And the reason I say he was the anchor, he was the one redeeming member of what was one of our weaker units on the team. You had two members of the line go down with injuries early in the season, but the one constant was the left tackle, Andrew Thomas and Tom, I don't know about you, but I would say this was by far Dave Gettleman's best first round draft pick. And I don't even know if it's up for debate because this guy did not allow a sack in close to 500 snaps over the course of the second half of the season. An easy choice for me to be, to be in my top two. And I can't wait to see what the, who, who, how the new GM builds around him over the course of the draft. And number one for my top player of the season, X going to give it to you. Xavier McKinney, five picks, for what was a pretty strong secondary, very impressive total. And he was a big reason for two of the Giants wins. So ultimately, because he had that pick six in the Raider game and because he had a pick in the Philadelphia game and because he contributed to half the Giants wins, that is the reason why Xavier McKinney is my number one choice for my top 10 Giants players. I like your list a lot. A lot of great picks. Um, now we're going to reveal mine. Before we get to that, just a couple comments. Jason Edmondson agrees with you. Shout out to Jason. Uh, Noah Dibler says, where's Jake from? Sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> all right. I got nothing else to say about that. I'm up. Um, all right. So my top 10 Giants players, I'm going to start with number 10, Tay Crowder. Led the Giants with 130 tackles, stepped up big for Blake Martinez, two picks, six passes defended, and one forced fumble. The reason why I didn't have him as high as you did at eight, Hank, is because, again, this guy was forced into commission with Blake Martinez, and while he deserves a spot on the list for his stellar play at times, there were some times where he missed some tackles. He's only a second-year player, and due to, like, seniority of players I have on my list. This is why he comes in at number 10. Number nine, and I hate this a lot as much as you do, Hank, if not more, Lorenzo Carter. Uh, I put him a step above you. He played in 14 games, had 50 tackles and five sacks, all of them coming in the last four games. He also had five passes defended, two forced fumbles and a fumble recovery. This is a guy who was trying to prove himself to this new uh, GM or head coach coming in and saying, Hey, Give me a one-year prove-it deal. I want to stay with this football team. I want to groom these young pups in the edge-rushing room. Lorenzo Carter checks in at number nine. Number eight, James Bradbury. Bradbury Bunker. While he didn't have his best season, he's still worthy of a top-ten selection. Uh, He started all – well, he played in all 17 games, started 16. Four interceptions, led the team with 17 pass breakups, and – He did have two fumble recoveries. The reason why he's not as high on this list as he was last year for me, he gave up the most receiving yards of his career because he was targeted a lot more since the Giants brought in a great number two corner in Adoree Jackson, who is my next pick, who comes in above James Bradbury. Hank, I believe this is right where you had Adoree Jackson at number seven. Correct. Correct. He was one of the guys who were relatively healthy throughout most of the season. He did have a spell where he was hurt, started 12 games, played in 13, one pick, eight passes defended. And the reason why I have a Dory over Bradbury, Jackson only allowed a 52.1% completion rate. 
So let's say a quarterback targets him 100 times. He only gave up 50 receptions. I'm not saying those were his exact numbers, but that was a career best for him, 52%. Maybe a little more than 50. We'll go like 51 out of 100. Number six, Aziz Ojolari. I have him a little lower than you. I think there are areas of his game where he can improve, but he did lead the Giants with eight sacks and played in all 17 games. He inserted him into the Giants starting lineup come week four, week five. Also, 13 QB hits and eight tackles for loss. That garners top 10 recognition. He checks in at number six, and he is one of my favorite New York Giants heading into 2022. Number five, the kicker. What do you know? It's Graham Gano. Um, and I, I see the comments section blowing up. Jason says Tay should be higher. He had a breakout season, if you ask me. He did, but there was nobody else to play at the linebacker position, right? So he kind of had to learn. He had to be the mic of that defense. Noah says Carter had a career year, and it really didn't feel like it. Yeah. Number five is Graham Gano for me. Made 88% of his field goals, seven field goals of 50-plus yards that broke a Giants franchise record, and three of his four missed field goals on the season were 50-plus yards. So he was pretty much automatic from within 50 yards. Graham Gano checks in at number five. Not to mention Wait. he was pretty good on he was pretty good on kickoffs as well. Yeah. Number four best offense player. You know, Hank, we pretty much copied each other without even knowing. I swear, folks, we don't study each other's notes when we go over this. We do this both on our own, and it just turns out we have very similar methods of thinking when it comes to the Giants. Logan Ryan is number four for me, 117 tackles, eight passes defended, and Just what he was able to do, staying on the field for 98% of the defensive snaps this season. I love this guy. I hope he's back next year leading that secondary. Number three, big cat, Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams is a guy that I really love. Do I love his contract? No. But he started all 17 games. Hank mentioned the elbow injury before. For defensive lineman, this man had 81 tackles, six and a half sacks, which is five less than he had last year. But obviously, without Dalvin Tomlinson, he's drawing some more attention. He still had 14 QB hits and two forced fumbles. Obviously, when you have an 11 and a half sack season at his size, at his position, he's going to garner more attention from opposing offensive lines and opposing blocking tight ends. Number two, Andrew Thomas. It's beginning to get boring, folks. It looks like Hank and I copied each other on a. Tom, great minds uh, think like 13 games this season. Unfortunately, he missed four due to an injury. Uh, and also 800 offensive snaps played, folks. Only two sacks allowed. Over 800 offensive snaps. That is insane. Andrew Thomas almost got my number one pick, Hank. I don't know about you, but he was I was flirting with that idea. I won't lie. The only reason, Especially, like I said... Sorry, go ahead. Especially with the way Bobby Skinner was tweeting out, Andrew Thomas was clearly the best player on the team this season. I don't think that's necessarily far-fetched. It's not. It's but, not. no, yeah, I, I I agree. I was actually flirting with the idea of putting Andrew Thomas. But, again, the, the reason that I put McKinney ahead, I don't know about you, I have a feeling you did the same thing, was because, like you said, he had five picks – a couple of them 
were factors in giant wins and considering how few the wins have come by this year, I figured that had to count for something. I don't know if that was your thinking. I don't know if I'm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But he only, but he only played 13 games. My number one. Yes. Bama did. He have to beat Georgia in some respect this January. Xavier McKinney is my number one giant like Hank five picks. Yes. But it was more than that. He played in all 17 games after dealing with an injury last season, that torn meniscus. 93 tackles, 10 passes defended, but more importantly, as a safety, he was targeted 56 times and only gave up 38 completions. For a safety, those are good numbers because more often than not, a safety is going to see receptions caught in front of him, and he's there to make those tackles. McKinney has one of the best diagnose rates in the NFL where he's able to diagnose where the receiver is and break up the play. So, ironically enough, I believe, let's see, 18 of his incompletions that were targeted, 10 of them were broken up. So really good job by Xavier McKinney. That rounds out my top 10. That rounds out Hank's top 10. Let us know what you think. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Did we leave anybody off the list that you thought would have been on? I'm sorry. Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones fans weren't good enough to make the list. No. Andrew Thomas made a lot of noise this year, but it was hard to tell because of the performance of our quarterbacks. Absolutely. 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 Shout out Jason. Uh, He's a high school football player at Holy Cross High School. So stop the count. Um, I'm not sure, Steve. A little more clarification there. Um, I'll try to get answer for you, but yeah, those are our top 10 lists. I don't know if I would have done anything differently, but moving on GM talk giants interviewed nine candidates at GM this past week. That includes Joe Shane, who was the first interview assistant GM for the Buffalo bills. This is the front runner, the leader for this position. Uh, He's the guy to beat right now. He also earned a second interview that happened on Tuesday. Last week, Giants also interviewed two representatives from the Cardinals. Vice President of Pro Personnel, Adrian Wilson, who is a former Cardinal in his own right. Um, He was promoted to that position in February of 2021. The Giants also interviewed Quentin Harris, Cardinals Vice President of Player Personnel. And fun fact, Quentin Harris was on the Giants practice squad in the 2006 season. little Fun fact, uh, you mentioned Barkley and Jones. Yeah, I said so, uh, what, I, what I meant was sorry to Barkley and Jones fans. We're not putting them on our top 10 list with um, the performance we get this year. Get the Bills guy. I agree. That's who I want, Joe Shane. Um, Jason's proud to see McKinney at number one. Funnily enough, Xavier McKinney kind of reminds me of Adrian Wilson's play style. Interesting. I remember Adrian Wilson, hard-hitting safety, really hard-hitting safety. I liked him a lot. Ryan Poles, another guy that I like, Chiefs Executive Director of Player Personnel. Uh, I would like Ryan Poles to be the GM as well. I think he would be a good pick. His first season in this role for Kansas City, not as much experience as Joe Shane, but he's definitely up there. Giants also interviewed two Titans representatives, Ryan Cowden, Titans VP of Player Personnel, 
and Monty Ossetford, Titans Director of Player Personnel. Monty had a connection with Joe Judge, so it was rumored if the Giants hired Monty, Joe Judge would stay. The Giants went along and interviewed Monty after Joe Judge was fired, but I don't think Austin Fort is getting a second interview, so you can pretty much count him off the list. And then the last three, two from the 49ers, Rand Carthon, the son of former New York Giants fullback Maurice Carthon, who won two Super Bowls. I love that they interviewed him. Forty-four. Yeah, big number 44. 49ers director of player personnel. Fortunately, he did not get a second interview. Adam Peters did, though, 49ers assistant GM, higher up on the list. He is one of the three finalists that were announced, at least, for the Giants general manager position. His second interview actually happened today. And then the last interview of the first round, interviews that the Giants did, was Joe Hortiz from the Baltimore Ravens, director of player personnel. Hank, I was very happy that the Giants went this broad and interviewed nine people because four years ago when they did this search, it was three people. It was Lewis Riddick, it was Dave Gettleman, and it was Kevin Abrams. That's all it was. Now, granted, this happened before the season was over Mm -hmm. because Reese was canned after the Eli Manning benching game. So the Giants had a new GM towards the middle end of December, but I'm happy that the Giants have gone this broad in their search. Well, yeah, and I remember that pretty well, but I think back then you you knew Dave Gettleman was going to get the job, though, because he because of the experience that he had with the Giants and him taking the Panthers to Panthers to the Super Bowl. I think mm-hmm. I think it was pretty obvious at that time that Dave Gettleman was going to get the job. I think Lewis Riddick was just the name out there. But mm-hmm. regarding the search, as I've mentioned, I, I like this a lot better. They're actually putting some thought and effort into a new guy and everyone has no prior ties to the giants. This is a major, major breath of fresh air. And, you know, Hortas was one of the guys that was on my list. I mean, he was a big reason that the Ravens had been in contention year after year. But with that having been said, I'm looking at the top three guys that are the finalists to get the job. And Tom, I have to be honest I don't really think either of them are necessarily a bad option. Now, do I have a preference between the three of them? Of course. I I think you know by now I'm on the I'm on the Shane train as well. In fact, there's a reason that I'm actually pulling for the Buffalo Bills to win the Super Bowl at this point because I'm hoping Shane gets the job and I'm hoping that you know with their Super Bowl win it puts a good reflection on his resume and now he goes to the giants with that winning pedigree and looking at the bills, he was a big reason as to why they pretty much, they pretty much changed their whole scouting philosophy. Once, once he branded means starting to work, started working together. So that's a big, big encouraging sign for me. And remember this wasn't, this wasn't just built in a day because even when they made the playoffs in 2017, like, you knew that that was a flawed team. I mean, granted, they hung around with the Jaguars, but they had Nathan Peterman and Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. So you knew that you knew that couldn't be their full-time answer. But then they took Allen, they let him develop for a year, and now he's among one of the better quarterbacks in the league. So it speaks yeah. long for the job that Joe Shane and, um, and Brandon Bean have done in Buffalo. But with that having been said, 
Poles, I know, had a good hand in helping build the Chiefs into a contender, so would I be opposed to him? Absolutely not. Adam Peters, again, 49ers, they're still playing right now. They had a Super Bowl contending team not too long ago. So, again, you'd have to think that both of them have something to do with those teams' recent run of success. So, neither would be a bad option, but if I had to pick, it's I think I would pick Joe Shane. And, Tom, I don't know about you, but all signs to me are pointing – to him being the new GM for the Giants. Yeah, we've seen some leaks too as well um, online about Joe Shane being the next Giants GM. ESPN had like a transaction log. I don't know how true this was or not. I I usually don't believe what I see online unless I fact check it first, but uh, it it looks like Joe Shane's going to be the guy. They've been talking for two months. He made it to the second round of interviews. In 2008, fun fact, Bill Parcells hired Shane as a national scout for the Miami Dolphins. And then Shane ended up getting a job with the Panthers. And then when Bean, Carolina Bill 2017, Shane left with him. Bean wanted Shane as his assistant. So I think Shane should be the guy. 20th year in the NFL, fifth with the Bills. Again, um, he was, and I believe while Shane was with the Dolphins, he moved all the way up to director of player personnel and i believe that's what ryan poles is right now except his title is executive director of player personnel um but again this guy worked at the college scouting level and the pro scouting level which is key um and yeah i think joe shane's the guy uh do you guys like joe shane do you think he should be the next giants gm says Noah says bills have progressively gotten better on their being in Shane. Absolutely. Apparently he apparently Shane crushed his first interview. We'll see how he did in the second. That was in person because the first round of inter- interviews were brought on zoom. I think if Shane comes in, it's likely that Brian Dabble is at the top. Dable is at the top of his list uh, to be a head coaching candidate. Um, this is my pick. This is Hank's pick. This is not just who I want. This is also my, prediction but steve brings an interesting comment about ryan poles who we'll get into now he got his second interview on wednesday um right before the giants announced that they put in a request to interview dan quinn the cowboys defensive coordinator to be their head coach which i don't know why people are freaking out about so much just an interview it's not like they're hiring him for the job and apparently all three of the of these gm candidates would be interested in at least interviewing Dan Quinn. But uh because he's already been interviewed by the Bears, the Vikings, and the Broncos. I think Quinn is likely to take the Broncos job, but we will see. Steve, so if the Giants hire polls, does he bring the enemy? It's a possibility. It's definitely would, a possibility. I would much rather have the enemy over Kellen Moore. I don't even know why I don't even know why Moore is getting as much coaching attention as beyond me but that's just me i would want neither i don't think kellen moore i think kellen moore's too yeah no i'm not saying he's a new coach but i i if i had to pick between him and the enemy i would take the enemy any day yeah i mean i think it's more andy reed with the play calling there um i don't that makes a lot of sense and apparently it's been rumored that the enemy's not a good interviewer. That's another reason that's been hidden, like why he hasn't gotten a head coaching job over the past couple of years, in addition to the Chiefs consistently being in the mix for the playoffs. 
So why, while I wouldn't hate the enemy as the head coach, um, I don't really want him. I don't want Kellen Moore either. I mean, I told you who my three untouchables are. It's Doug Peterson. It's Mike McCarthy. And the third I'm forgetting. For well, I don't reason. think you have to worry about Mike McCarthy. You know Jerry Boy is going to keep him in Dallas for another year to be his yes man. So Jim Harbaugh is the third, by the way. I don't want Jim Harbaugh. I would, I would prefer EB over those three for sure, but I just can't trust B- – Dom just brought it up. Um, yeah. Who's Kellen Moore? Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Moore, Moore, Moore is probably towards the bottom too, but I do think if Poles becomes the GM, the Giants should definitely interview Biennemi because there there would be a connection there. Um, yeah, I heard that last year about the enemy. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, we, we never know. I think the enemy deserves an opportunity. I just don't necessarily know if it's going to be with the giants, especially if Shane is hired as the GM, I think it would be more likely if polls is hired as the GM. Dom Daniele says, I can't trust the enemy too much talent to work with. And I think almost anyone can succeed with what, with that offense's personnel. And this is interesting because in the playoff game on Sunday night, some of the play calls the Chiefs made were head-scratching against the Steelers. Uh, We saw T.J. Watt with that fumble recovery. Dom is a Steelers fan, by the way, folks. Um, It just wasn't a good look. I mean, we saw Mahomes. He didn't have his best year this year. And I I think that falls on Andy Reid as well as the head coach. So, uh I think there's a chance the the Chiefs could get bumped this weekend. I mean, dabble against the enemy. I mean, this could kind of decide who's the higher leverage head coaching candidate. Um, I know. I think Steve's in alignment with us. He he wants BD, um, especially if Shane is hired. Um, you can confirm that, Steve, if that's who you want. I'm not sure, but I think I saw you comment that somewhere. Um, but yeah, Reed is calling most of the plays. Yeah, Andy Reid's one of the best offensive geniuses in football history, so that makes sense. Yeah. I think a guy, yeah, Steve wants to dabble as well. To be fair, Harbaugh was solid in the NFL. Three straight NFC Conference Championship games and 20 yards from a Super Bowl win after taking over a team that went 6-10 and before he arrived. He only got fired because management hated him. Well, here's my response to this. I wanted Joe Judge to stay as the head coach, and I still stand by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want the Giants to completely undo what Joe Judge did, as in I want Patrick Graham to stay as the defensive coordinator, which it seems unlikely, unfortunately, but I think he's the one assistant that should definitely stay. We already lost Coach Chaos and Rob Sale to Napier's Florida Gators, which I don't love, but um, I just – I think Harbaugh would undo the culture that Joe Judge did. The culture was there. The winning wasn't. I want the winning and the culture there together. I want that there together. That's how I feel. You are correct. Yep. Uh, yeah, but if there's a number two candidate at this time, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know. There's so many options. I know Flores has expressed interest in the position. Um, I think he would definitely be a top three to four guy, but he is a defensive-minded guy. I know we're we're looking to bring in Daniel Jones for a fourth year, so if the Giants were to hire Flores, they would need an offensive mind 
to be the offensive. I mean, obviously they need an offensive mind to be the offensive coordinator, but what I'm trying to say folks is they would need somebody who's very experienced with the playbook and not somebody like Jason Garrett. Yeah. I'll relax once I find out he's not getting interviewed. If he gets interviewed, I know Steve does not like John Harbaugh, uh, Jim Harbaugh. That is either, but um, isn't he a Michigan fan too, or am I making that up? He is a Michigan fan. Yep. All right. So the third guy is Adam Peters from the 49ers. He interviewed today and he has a lot of experience with the 49ers. Um, building that roster up, their offensive line. I think they have a really good front five. I think they have a great defense that they've built as well. And I think, you know, Peters has a lot of experience too. So this is a guy you should heavily consider. And what Shane and Peters have in common is that they're currently both assistant general managers. They're pretty much one step away. So I think those are probably the top two contenders with polls coming in as a close third. Um, I really don't care who it is. I mean, I want it to be Shane, but if they hire any of these three candidates, I I would love it. I would personally love it, especially um, I read somewhere Ryan Poles is only 36 years old. I mean, they're really, and Joe Shane is 42. They're really going young here with their options, which I definitely like. Um, Georgia, boat race, Michigan. Easy, Noah. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> you you won you won the national championship, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it was also announced that the Giants made a statement that the GM will have full control in the head coach hiring, which a lot of people are confused. Well, why are the Giants why are the Giants requesting to interview Dan Quinn? Well, either the GM was already decided before the Adam Peters interview today, which would eliminate him or all three of the GM candidates said Dan Quinn would be a name that they would consider. That's all that is. Uh, I don't think there's anything more to it. And it would look a lot worse if Dan Quinn was hired. And then this, this new GM, it gets out that they, they wanted Dan Quinn as their, GM and I do agree with Steve. I think they already decided. The Giants just aren't announcing it yet. They're not announcing it yet because they kind of want to get a, a jump start on the head coaching search. You know, one, once they see the name Joe Shane or Ryan Poles, who, who whoever it is, it gives you an idea who they're probably going to want to interview as the head coach. Uh, 1980 jokes are not dead because Potvin still sucks. You're dead. Oh gosh. I have mixed feelings about that chant, but yeah, I'm not going to get into that. I don't like it either. I just like busting Hank's chops. Cause he was at the Rangers game last night <laughs> hey. and I heard it on the TV at one point. I'm like, Oh God, Hank's going nuts. Let me text him. <laughs> This is going a little too far, Noah. The the man oh. went to a Super Bowl. Uh, have you ever heard of Hugh Jackson? Have you ever heard of Hugh Jackson? Have you ever heard of Rich Cotite? Have you ever heard of Adam Gase? You ever heard of Ben McAdoo? Yes. <laughs> what from eleven to, like and five to yes. three and ten? 
I'm not crazy about Quinn as a candidate, but I understand wanting to get him in for an interview. Yeah, I mean, I don't want him as the head coach either, Steve, I'll be honest, but I, you know, I, I think you definitely want to get in as many guys in for interviews as possible. I think Quinn is probably close to being hired because the, the Vikings, Bronco, I mean, the Broncos already have their GM. They're just hiring a head coach. Um, you know, these teams are relatively close. I know the Bears and Vikings are still in search as well. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think Dan Quinn is going to be a highly prized coordinator. I'm sorry, no, he's probably going to be a head coach again. Kyle Shanahan went to the Super Bowl. I would take Adam Gase over Dan Quinn. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Um, I think Adam Gase was a joke of a head coach. Good Lord. No. <laughs> Good play caller. When he's Good. not the head coach. Good Lord. Um, what else do we have to talk about here? Oh, off-season predictions. So we kind of touched upon the three candidates, and Jason says not a chance. Yeah, I definitely agree. Gase is trash. Trash can, that is. Off-season predictions. So my first prediction is that Joe Shane will be announced as the Giants' next general manager tomorrow. And that Brian Dabble will be the next Giants head coach. That is my prediction. Would I be mad if it's not those two? No. But I think that's going to be the combination. I think what we saw Dabble do against a Bill Belichick top five led defense in the NFL this past weekend in the playoffs goes to show you that those play calls are coming straight from Dabble because Sean McDermott is a defensive-minded head coach, ladies and gentlemen. Not saying that Sean McDermott doesn't deserve any credit there, but Brian Dabble is an insane play caller. Look what he did with Josh Allen. He, if he can make Daniel Jones like 60% of what Josh Allen is, that's all we would need to be successful. If Jones was 60% of Josh Allen in 2020, the Giants are in the playoffs. So that's my first prediction. My next prediction, Saquon Barkley will not be given a contract extension. He will be forced to play on the fifth-year option. My next prediction, the Giants will not pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option, even if Gettleman and Judge stayed, or if Judge stayed and Gettleman didn't. Jones should not receive the fifth-year option. Jones should have to play out the final year of his rookie deal this year. He has not proven that he is worthy of the fifth-year option at this time. I think, for me, it's more the injuries than than the play. The play has been on and off, but it's definitely been more of the injuries for me. Um, Also, none of the 2018 draft class free agents will return. That includes Will Hernandez. That also includes Lorenzo Carter. They will not return. Saquon Barkley does not count because he is not a free agent yet. Yeah, Lorenzo Carter, I can't imagine him staying. Will Hernandez is dead man walking at this point. Carter might get a one-year. Maybe. He might get get a one-year because I don't know if you want to trust 
three rookies leading your edge rushing crew next year because uh, I'm not sold on O'Shane either. But um, the Giants will and must release Nate Solder. You oh. must dump that contract. Yeah, absolutely. You need to save money. You need to save money. And you'll save more money by re- releasing him this year than you would have last year. Last year it made sense why the Giants would bring him back as a swing tackle not a starting tackle a swing tackle because of the steep pay cut that he took but i think he's gone and the giants will sign a stopgap guard in free agency that should be their only major free agency move due to cap space as a veteran presence on that offensive line is needed you could argue well nick gates fourth year fifth year shane lemieux third year no Andrew Thomas, third year, no. You need a veteran. Go out and get a Colts offensive lineman like Mark Lewinsky, who just finished up his rookie contract. Go out and get somebody that you know has experience and won't be super-duper expensive. You only need average guards to succeed in this NFL. If you could get you know, some of what Kevin Zeitler could do back on that offensive line, the Giants are already a better offensive line, and you know one of those two first-round picks is being devoted to the offensive line. Those are my off-season predictions, Hank. I'll give you the floor now. I know that that was a lot because there's a lot to talk about because this is a very exciting time to be a Giants fan because there's a lot of change. We, there's a lot of unknown. Now, what are your off-season predictions? So, yeah, I would. It's pretty much similar to yours. I would say, I would say they're probably not going to be active in free agency, and quite frankly, that's probably the way to go because it. Let's let's put it this way. The new general manager is basically going to be cutting up credit card, cutting, stimping up the credit card that, you know, your college kid used as a freshman without an experience, like Dave Gettleman using up a lot of that money. So free agency should be kept to a minimum. But I agree with you. If you're if you're going to go anywhere, absolutely get a veteran presence at the offensive line, because Lord knows that is a position that needs an absolute overhaul. He would definitely be a good compliment for Andrew Thomas. And then, like I said, if you wanted to take one or both of Neil and Linderbaum in the draft, I would be totally okay with that. You put them with Andrew Thomas and you have a veteran presence. I think we're talking about a major upgrade to a position that for years has been a weakness. So there's that. I would say Saquon Barkley – and Daniel Jones will not be extended after the season. I think, like I said, Jones has not been given. Neither of them really have been been drafted to a team that really that truly could build to their strength. And I think Saquon Barkley's running style, as I've said, also as much as I can say that the offensive line has been, been a problem, I don't really like his old dancing around and getting tackled for a loss. Like that's just. No, I, I, I can, I can do without that. I, yeah, I want a North and South running back over the next few years. Not, not someone who tries to be fancy like Saquon Barkley. Although I will say he's talented. I'm not denying that. And Daniel Jones, like I said, it pretty much speaks for itself. Best, best availability is best ability is availability. I sadly don't think he's going to be back after this season. So Take that for what it's worth. I think that they're just riding out the rest of their contracts with them. Uh, the next thing, I would say 
I think really the only other thing left is the head coach and GM. I think, I think it's definitely going to be Joe Shane as the GM. He's going to get complete control. And honestly, if he gets complete control, I think I can't really think of who else makes more sense than Brian Dable. No, because he knows how much he's fixed the offense. And so I think that's the dream right there. And now I, will it be a slow start? Yeah, probably. But eventually you're going to, you're going to get more players to build around. I wouldn't assume. I wouldn't assume that it's going to be a slow start. Hank, remember the giants are playing a fourth place schedule next year. Anything could happen. I'm just saying, maybe I'm not Tom, you know, I can't get my hopes up. I'm I'm just saying. You can't because it's the Giants and like, hit rock. Would I off. be shocked if the Giants somehow had a random playoff appearance, a la the Philadelphia Eagles, because of an no, easy schedule? I wouldn't be not shocked. necessarily, I'm, but I'm not. It's not something I'm banking on. Is the point that I'm trying to make? But otherwise, yeah, no. I think the Giants are going to have a relatively quiet off season, and they're going to f- focus on the first things first, and that's fixing the edge and fixing the O line, and in order to really have a proper rebuild, that's where everything has to start. Next yeah. year, we can have the quarterback discussion. So those are both of our off-season predictions. Question. Uh, oh, there we go. What, in your guys' opinion, would be the worst-case scenario at GM? Oh, that's easy. Kevin Abrams. Oh, yeah. Kevin Abrams. No doubt. In-house hire. Dave Gettleman 2.0. All right. Well, maybe he's not Dave Gettleman 2.0, but the salary cap strategist in 2021, this is the same guy that gave all those players atrocious contracts. Paying Dory Jackson, who I love, $16 million a year. Leonard Williams is owed $26 million next year. Kenny Galladay, four years, $72 million. The man that didn't score a touchdown. He barely had over 500 receiving yards this year. Cap hell. That's right. Cap Can I one up you hell. in that, Tom? If I may, what? Chris Mara. Let's hear it. Chris Mara. Yeah, somebody put out a joke. He was interviewed for the GM position. That's not happening. No, not that would. Be, I know that's far fetched. I just wanted to like get a reaction. I, and I, I know that I saw the same tweet. I just, yeah. I think he he's probably one of the worst of those front office guys. Folks, it's we're gonna stick around on too. Folks, we'll stick around until 9, so if you have any other questions, feel free to drop them in now over these next 13 minutes or so. One of my best buds is a Bills fan, and he said Dable is a genius play caller between the 20s, but he sucks in the red zone. Um, We actually interviewed Greg Thompson from the Cover One podcast. He covers the Buffalo Bills uh, Tuesday night. I believe some of you in the comments section now were watching that segment. Go watch that segment on our YouTube channel, Review and Preview Sports, when you get a chance. It's about a little over half an hour long. It pretty much explains the ideology of bringing Brian Dabble as a head coach and why he would be a successful head coach if he was to come to the Giants under Joe Shane or under any potential GM. I don't think Dabble is out of the question if any of those three GMs are hired tomorrow, next week, over the weekend, whatever it may be. Um, As far as sucking in the red zone, I feel like the Bills have been pretty successful in the red zone. I just think the Bills score more big play touchdowns right now than any other team in the NFL. Um, maybe his one flaw is forgetting about the running game at times because Josh Allen, more often than not, is the leading rusher in that offense, which cannot happen. We can't have Daniel Jones 
as the leading rusher in our offense, it needs to be Saquon Barkley or whoever the running back is. So I can see why you have that uh, opinion, Noah. Uh, Steve says, please can, Solder. Yeah, I'm with you. He's got to go. Love him as a person, but he's got to go. <laughs> Off-season prediction. New York football Bulldogs draft a player from Georgia. Yeah, and this time around, I think we should go after Jordan Davis, defensive tackle. I'd like to get him on this football team. He is a hog. He reminds me a lot of Dalvin Tomlinson. I would love to see Jordan Davis line up next to Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence on the Giants defensive line in 2022. Jason says, we need to make sure we keep our pick in the draft. Fifth overall pick can determine the season for us. Yeah, you know, this is interesting. I've heard some people about uh, the Giants wanting to trade down. The Gi- no, don't trade. I mean, I don't know what the GM is going to do. You have the fifth overall pick. You're rebuilding. You keep both of those top ten picks. I mean, that's a dream for any GM coming in, right? So I think right then and there, you have to keep the fifth overall pick, and you have to spend it on a cornerstone piece of your future, whether it's Evan Neal, Tyler Linderbaum, or somebody else. Dom says, I can see the Bills trading for Barkley. That's very interesting because, Hank, if the Giants hire Shane tomorrow, right, he would have some leverage there wow. to give the Bills a really good running back because they, they built a good offensive line, and the Bills in return could give the Giants a bunch of draft picks because, quite frankly, they don't need them because they're te- – not okay. they don't need if, them. If that happens, I would probably fall off on, fall off on this chair in shock in, the, in, the, in a good way. That would be huge. Wow. I think um, – I, Dom, I didn't even think about that. That that'd be a game changer. More draft. If that happens. Happens. Yeah. You're jumping for joy if that happens. I think if you get a third round pick. Oh my gosh, I would I would I would be like ecstatic. <laughs> Giants fans should sacrifice their firstborn kid to hope Evan Neal somehow dropped to, to number five. Oh god. The, the the Texans might take him at three. If, if they were smart, I think that should be their pick. But I don't know. They have so many needs on that roster. Who the hell knows, Noah? No. It's time Hank, for Hank GM sacrifice. I would even argue Bill O'Brien at GM would be the worst. True. <laughs> but Bill O'Brien at head coach would not be the worst. Oh, no. No, 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 no. He was a good not. head coach. He he brought the Texans I to the playoffs twice. Anywhere near my franchise. But, Hank, listen, he wasn't a bad head coach. He was a bad GM. He wouldn't have the power to trade away De- DeAndre Hopkins again. I'm not saying I want Bill O'Brien, but I'm saying I wouldn't hate him if he was the picket head coach. This is This was the problem with hiring Joe Judge. Who the hell is going to be the next head coach? Who the hell is going to work with this team? The new GM is going to have to decide that. And right now, it could be anybody. This franchise is changing directions right now. We don't know what the new faces on this team are going to look like. He's an option. Look what he did with Bryce Young this year in that Alabama offense. A, a, a down year. They made it to the national championship game. Crazy to That's say. That's with Alabama, though. I'm not like... 
I'd want Bill O'Brien over Dan Quinn. No, I'll tell I, I'll tell you that. No, he I'm not helped. entertaining that idea. I can't. I I, no. <laughs> I don't see what's so bad about it. Bill O'Brien got fired because he was he gave he was given the responsibilities of head coaching and GM. When they let Brian gain and everybody go, then Bill O'Brien had to be the GM. And then he his he ego had a lot to do with that. I'll tell you that. His ego had a lot to do with that. You can't convince me otherwise. But it's been a few years now, and I don't think you can necessarily hate that if he's the hire. That's just my opinion. I want Dabble. We can't be any worse in the red zone than we were last year. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think Dabble would be as bad as Jason Garrett in the red zone. Jordan Davis is a beast. Yeah, I would love to have him on this roster. Noah says that the Georgia fan says he just needs to lose a little bit of weight. Yeah, yeah I know he is up there. Um, but so is Dalvin Tomlinson when he first joined the team and he caught some weight. Dom says CBS Sports had a mock draft with Giants picking Pickett at five. How upset would you be if that happened? Dom, let Very. me say this again. You see that wall right there? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a major hanky fist. That's all I'm going to say. What? Here's the thing. It's not going to happen because once you draft the quarterback, then your neck is on the line now because sad to say, like that's your franchise player. Now your tenure as the GM rests predominantly on that player's success. Do you want to do that to yourself in year one? No, you want to build from inside out. Don't go for the skilled players right away, build the trenches and then get those skilled players. That's how the giants won super bowls in the two thousands and the early 2010s. That's how they did it. They established a good offensive line. They went out. They, they drafted David Deal in the fifth round in 03. They went out. They drafted Chris Snee out of Boston College. They signed Kareem McKenzie from the Jet, from the New York Jets. They signed Sean O'Hara from the Browns. They, Rich, Rich, Rich Soybert was an undrafted free agent. It goes to show, you know, you don't really need, like, top five, ten picks on offensive linemen, but – these two guys and Neil and Linderbaum are for sure studs. I don't know if you saw the video what Linderbaum did to Tristan Wirfs in high school in Iowa, but they had a wrestling match and Linderbaum crushed the kid. And Tristan Wirfs is a Pro Bowl caliber tackle. Pickett and Corral aren't worth top 10 picks. I don't think Pickett and Corral are worth first round picks. I don't. Maybe not even second round for one of them. <laughs> I don't. I I I, th- I think Pickett, but I don't think any quarterbacks. Watch out for Bailey Zap. He might be a decent NFL quarterback. He was insane this year. What if the Bills traded a fourth rounder with Zach Moss? Do you say no? No, you don't say no. You take that. You make Zach Moss your starting running back. You take the Absolutely. draft capital. Hundred percent. I would prefer a second draft pick with it. But I don't know if Barkley's proven that. That's why Barkley's play is good on the fifth-year option. Then you do it. Going into the offseason, signing and drafts, we need to stay away from skill guys. We have to prioritize both of our lines. No. New I am <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not even available. entertaining the idea of Bill O'Brien. I would again, I'd be even I'd probably be even more upset if they took Bill O'Brien than I would be if they took Kenny Pickett. That's just me. Watson loved Bill O'Brien for some reason. This is true. Once Bill O'Brien left, the Texans started to crumble. What do you know? Yeah, Just because, saying. Yeah, because of because of damage that he did. What do you expect? 
it wasn't just the damage that he did. It was the damage that the higher-ups did. By They should have never let Brian Gain go. Um, that, that I'll was give you that, yes. Itself. Yes, I'll give you that. But um, did, did Bill O'Brien help himself? No. And did you see – and also, let me give you another example as to why I am very anti-hiring Bill O'Brien. Do you remember what he did in that divisional game against Kansas City? You think I trust that guy as my head coach? Hell no. He also went against Patrick Mahomes, though. Doesn't matter. You don't go for it deep in your own territory against the Chiefs. That's dumb. And also, you had fourth and one right to the end zone. You could have put them away pretty early. Like, he played not to lose that game and then turned out to hurt them earlier than expected. No, I don't don't want Hank, I mean – this, this is what we're going to get. We fired Joe Judge. This is what we're going to get now. These guys are sadly options. This is what's going to happen when you change the head coach and you decide to blow it the hell up. That's why the Giants should have never fired Joe Judge, and I've been trying to indoctrinate that into everybody's brain, but everybody seems to think, oh, you know, well, who knows? Maybe these GMs, we don't know. Maybe they would have taken the job if Joe Judge was still head coach. We don't know that. We don't know that. The Giants just wanted to start fresh. I still think it could have worked with another GM, but now this is what we have to deal with, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we have to deal with. All the options at head coach, from the best candidates to the worst candidates. I'm going to miss Joe Judge. I hate to say it. I, I don't hate to say it, but Daniel Jones has the ability to make plays. You would be surprised how good he is when he has at least four seconds to throw the ball. I read a stat somewhere. Actually, it was given to me by Justin Pennick last week that outside of Matt Ryan, Daniel Jones has the least amount of time from the snap of the ball to the point of contact from defensive players. Tells you something right there. Tells you something. Yeah, now this is true, but at the same time, the Giants still had guys like they had Tiki Barber, they had Plaxico Burris, they had good players on defense, a lot of good players. Scouts have said that any of these quarterbacks would go in the third round. It's a trap to take a QB in round one, absolutely. Apparently, O'Brien also wanted to get rid of Hopkins because he did not like Hopkins' personal lifestyle. That is pathetic. I'm not going to get into it any anymore. Um, the Bill O'Brien discussion is done for tonight. That will be readdressed at a later time, if appropriate. Outside of Matt Ryan, what a surprise. Yep. Very true, Noah. Very, very true. Well, folks, it's been a fun hour and a half tonight again we apologize for the technical delays we were having before we we were having some issues logging on but hank we did our season recap we had a lot of fun talking about it and next week we're going to go over some more team updates we'll obviously when the gm is announced we'll put out a video on that on our youtube channel at big blue avenue as we will put that down on our ticker now make sure to go follow that below Subscribe to us on all of our social media platforms to get that up-to-date daily content. We'll also be starting to go over head coaching candidates because we'll have a better idea on who they are, Hank, once the new GM is hired. So it is a very exciting time to see who the new face of management will be for the New York football giants. 
Yeah, definitely. I am, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this all plays out. I'm sure at the end of the day, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm sure at the end of the day, whoever the new GM is, he'll do the right thing with the new coach, and then we can get moving from there. Absolutely. Folks, we appreciate everybody in the comments section for chatting with us tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, on behalf of Hank and Nictor, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long, everybody. And one more time, you've been watching Big Blue Avenue here on Facebook Live. And let's go Big, Big Blue. Blue. Have a good night, everybody.